You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Good morning to everyone watching online. Good morning to Agent Court Church. Before we jump into our teaching, I have a public service announcement. You ready for this? Now, two weeks from now, for two weeks, we have what we call Global Focus Weekends. Now, for those of you who regularly are part of our church family, you know what this is about. For two weeks, we pause from our regular teaching schedule, and we invite guest speakers from around the world to come and tell us stories of what God is doing around the world, and we have an incredible lineup for these two weekends, and I wanted to give you advance notice for a couple of reasons. One... I want you to be a part of this. It's going to be exciting to hear what God's doing in other parts of the world. Two, you know that for those two weekends every year, we invite you as a group of believers to give above and beyond towards projects that are going to help people around the world. And we have some incredible projects to present to you this year. And we are going to try over two weeks to raise $150,000 to advance the message of Jesus right around this world. So... I want you to be thinking about what can I do to participate and partner with what God is doing around the world. So that's the public service announcement done. Ready? Okay. We're in the second to last message in the series called It's Okay to Be Different. You remember where we were last week? Pastor Keith was teaching and I, I was away, but I was watching online and I, I heard how it's okay to make an impact it's okay to make an impact with our lives. And how do, how do you do that? One of the great principles Pastor Keith shared with us last week is it's okay to make an impact. And one of the ways you can do that is by leaving where you are better than when you came. Isn't that a great principle in life? Do it wherever you are, whatever workplace, wherever you live, whatever family, friendships you're connected with right now, how can you leave it better than when you arrived? What a great kingdom principle. And we can do it in light of the fact that we do right now what will matter in heaven someday. When you want to leave a lasting impact, live out those eternal truths right now in your everyday, and you can leave wherever you are better than when you came. Then the week before that, we learned about it's okay to be chronically positive. Do you remember that message? Uh, We gave you a gratitude journal to help you get started in what? The awesome sauce cycle. We wanted you to experience more awesome sauce in your life. Have you had to add some awesome sauce to some situations or conversations over the last two weeks? Okay, okay. You guys are still on the cray-cray cycle, are you? You know that cycle that starts with ingratitude and forgetfulness and then complainfulness, remember that? But you add awesome sauce to things. Shelly and I had to this last weekend. We were away, Pastor Keith was teaching here because we were celebrating our anniversary and it was great to get away. And so I had found a deal online, thank you, but I found a deal online and nobody likes a deal more than my wife, Shelly. So we found a deal, it was like Airbnb, Airbnb, but but lower. But the pictures were great. The pictures were great. And we went away on this anniversary weekend and we arrived and we walked into the place and it was kind of like everything's going, yeah, da, 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 da. And I'll use the words my wife used. This is man clean. I'm sorry, gentlemen. That was a, that was a, a, a jab at us. 
And what she meant by man clean is, she said, you know, you know, man clean, if you're running through the place, everything looks good. But if you stop, you go, it's filthy. And it was. And we got on this cray-cray cycle. And I got to admit, I was on it longer than Shelly. And Shelly poured some awesome sauce on it at some point and said, hey, let's make the best of it. We can make some decisions. Why don't we do some changes here? And we had an amazing weekend. But it was basically because we chose to add the awesome sauce to remember what we had to be grateful for. We then began to make better decisions. We changed our situation a little bit. It turned out to be a great weekend. Listen, awesome sauce can change your life by being grateful. It makes you more mindful how good God is. And that makes you more praiseful, which makes you more grateful. Change your life. This week, I want to talk to you about it's okay to speak up. It's okay to speak up in sometimes a culture that feels like it wants us to shut up about our faith in Jesus. It's okay. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, we're so glad you're here. But a lot of this message is going to be pointed to the people around you. You get a pass this week. You get to sit and listen to why are Christians, why do they make such a big deal about speaking up about Jesus? Right now in our culture, it feels difficult to talk about Jesus. Uh, have you ever noticed, I, I call them drive-by comments. You can get them at work, you can get them at school. Drive-by comments, you know, people take little shots as they go. When they find out at work you're, you're a person who goes to church and they're like, oh, you're one of those religious types. That's never a compliment. That's not a compliment at all. Or, or one of those conversations where someone says, yeah, yeah, you know, God, I don't know. Good God, how can all the pain and suffering be allowed in this world? Or... Do you really believe all those stories in the Bible? I mean, Noah and the ark, Jonah and Adam and Eve. My personal favorite is, oh, potato, potato. All religions are the same, aren't they? Kind of just dismiss everything you kind of believe in that moment. Or, or aren't Christians, and, or especially evangelical conservative Christians, aren't they kind of hateful towards and insert any name of a group? Or maybe this, how many terrible things have been done by Christians through the centuries? It's not hard to find. It's not hard to find in Canada. Look at some of the treatment of our indigenous people. But what I noticed, this, is people will take shots, but generally speaking, nobody takes shots at Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? They'll take shots at your church or a church. They'll take shots at your morality and your decisions or your belief about heaven or hell. They'll take shots. This is my favorite. They'll take shots of a Christian they meant one time who was, mm. But generally speaking, they dance around Jesus. The key to speaking up in this culture is Jesus. I want you to see that today. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, let me give you a little context for this passage. Now, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he became an apostle of the church that helped establish the early church. And Peter wrote two books in the New Testament. The first one is 1 Peter. The second one is, guess what? 2 Peter. Very creative, incredible name for the second book. Very helpful to find, though. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, but he was a, before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was a fisherman. He ran a business. He was a businessman. In ancient cultures, very different from our modern culture, you did whatever your father did. 
So nobody moved around and chose a career path. You didn't wake up one day and say, Dad, I want to be a doctor. Dad, I'm going to be a mechanic. You didn't have a choice. What was your father? He was this. That's what you'll be. (laughs) What was his father? He was that. What was his father? He was that. What will my son do? Exactly what I'm doing. You know, that was the way things worked. It was the normal pattern of things. And Peter's caught up in that. He lives in a village called Capernaum in the, in the Galilean area. And one day, he's coming from a long day of fishing. He's working with his father and his brothers. And his sons are likely somewhere there in the corner. And he, he is drying out his nets. And one day, a man comes to the village. And this guy teaches. And Peter is listening while he's drying out his, his, his nets. And he's taken with this guy. He's teaching like someone that teaches with authority in a way that he had never heard. And after he's done the teaching, Jesus turns to Peter and says, listen, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, clearly, Jesus, you're a carpenter and know nothing about fishing. Nobody fishes in the heat of the day because the fish go deeper in the water. You can't catch any. You fish through the night. You fish in the early morning. That's when you do your fishing. But probably to be polite to Jesus, Peter did go fishing. And if you know the story, they caught the mother load of all fish. So much so the the boat was ready to capsize. And against the backdrop of that miraculous moment, Jesus says, Peter, I want you to follow me. And it's pretty neat because this is true of many who are new followers to Jesus. He decides to take people with him. He invites his two friends, James and John. His brother comes with him. And they follow Jesus. And Peter steps into the pages of history as an evangelist of Jesus, as an apostle, a disciple of Jesus. But if you know the story, fast forward. He follows Jesus around for three years. He leaves his family profession. He has a new profession now. He is teaching with Jesus. He is a fisher of men now, sharing the good news of what the kingdom of God is. But Jesus is arrested. If you know the story, Peter's faith goes from hero to zero in a moment. And then Jesus is crucified. Peter goes back to the old normal pattern, and he becomes a fisherman all over again. But the story doesn't end there. Because Peter was also the first disciple to peer into the empty tomb. And then Jesus has breakfast with Peter on the beach It's an incredible moment in the story. That's the context for what we're going to be talking about today. Now, just to be clear, the world in which Peter lived in was dangerous for Christians. It was dangerous to speak up at that time in human history. In fact, they would crucify Peter for it at one point. And history says it this way, that Peter felt so unworthy to die in the manner that his Lord and Savior Jesus had died that he asked the Romans to crucify him upside down and they, and they, they, they did it. It was a tough era to speak up. A very difficult era to speak up in. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13, gives us some key insights, extraordinary insights actually, on how to speak up and how to live up in a world that might want us to shut up. Here it is. Let's, let's read some of it. First Peter chapter 3. Peter says this. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Is that not a great question? 
Great question for me to ask myself. Am I eager to do good? Who's going to want to harm you? But even if you suffer, don't like that word, for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Peter's talking to Christians who had every reason to worry. He's talking to Christians not in 2018 in Canada, in Toronto, Canada. He's talking to Christians where in that world it could cost them their lives. Peter's facing two real struggles to speak up, and we face the same ones, but they look a little different in Canada. The first is fear, afraid. Afraid of what could be lost if you speak up. And it was very real in that first century because it could cost you your life. Your life, it could cost you everything. Thankfully, in Canada, we don't face that type of fear, right? We don't face the type of fear that it might cost us our lives. But it could cost you a date. She might not want to date you if you're a Christian. Someone might not want to marry you when he finds out that you're a Christian. And church is a part of your life, and uh, I don't know. It might cost you something at work. When your faith values inform your decision-making at work, it may cost you. Peter's being very clear. It may cost you, but clearly not to the level of this first-century Christians. Now, just a little side note. It's good for us to remember so it informs our prayers and our heart, and we'll hear more about this over our Global Focus weekends, it may not cost us our lives, but it is costing Christians their lives around the world. There are people that are persecuted for their faith, their churches are burned down, they are killed because they're Christian to this day, to a greater degree than at any other point in your life. It's incredible how much violence is around the world. So fear is one. The other is this. For Peter, it was hard to speak up because the message was hard. It was a hard sell in an ancient culture, the message of Christianity. Here's why. The message wasn't this. You have many gods. We have a God. Our God is more powerful than your many gods. It wasn't that simple. Or it wasn't, we have a religion, and you have a religion, and our religion is right, and yours is wrong. It wasn't that simple. What made Christianity so dangerous is the message was this. You have many gods. We have one God, and your gods don't exist. That's a completely different narrative. Because in that narrative, those are fighting words. In an ancient culture, much like Canada, you can believe anything and everything as long as you don't say one thing is exclusively true. So in that culture, you could add gods onto the gods you already had. In that ancient culture, they're under Roman rule. You often had the emperor as a god. You would have a local god that would be over your area. And you had a myriad of gods that you could serve and love. And so you're welcome to add a god onto the menu. You just can't say that there's only one god on the menu. This was a hard sell. This was difficult. So let's look at how Peter responds. He He says, don't worry, don't be afraid. And he gives us something to do instead of worrying and being afraid. He said, instead, you must worship, revere, center your life around Christ as Lord of your life. In other words, settle this, Christians. Settle this once and for all. Settle that your career is not your Lord. That she is not your Lord. Or that stuff is not your Lord. 
Settle once and for all that Christ is your Lord. Commit to him and center your life around him. And if somebody asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, depending on your translation of your English copy of the Bible, your version might say, always be ready to give a defense of the gospel. This is something that has troubled me for years because I hear messages on somebody talking about speaking up on your faith. And man, I just feel like, man, I, I, once I speak up, I'm gonna have, somebody's going to ask a question and I don't have the right answer. And this is why I don't speak up because I get anxious or worried about how that's going to go. Notice what he's not saying here in this passage, though. That's the important part in this passage. What is he not saying? He's not saying, be prepared to explain everything about Christianity. Notice he doesn't say that. He's not saying, be prepared to defend the Bible. Not there. He's not saying, be prepared to defend your church and the global church. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, be prepared to defend the behavior of bad Christians. Christians who behave badly. He doesn't say... Be ready to defend the hypocrisy of the church throughout history. He doesn't say, be ready to defend the hard parts of the Old Testament. He doesn't say that. He says this, you need to be ready to explain why you, as a believer, are a follower of Jesus. That's what we need to be prepared to speak up about. Here's the question. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus. And Peter says to these Christians who are having trouble speaking up because there's so much persecution and difficulty, he said, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. Be prepared to answer this question, though, if you're a follower of Jesus. Why have you personally chosen to follow Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean all those other questions aren't important or don't matter. There are phenomenal books, and we have many in our resource center, that answer a lot of those questions and help people grapple with church history and, you know, how could a good God allow pain and suffering? There are lots of great answers to that, and some people are better equipped to answer that than others. But he's saying, listen, baseline, every Christian, this is what we're to speak up about. Why are we a follower of Jesus? Now, I imagine if Peter was here, and I had a chance to grill Peter, and I said, Peter, okay, you tell me, tell me, Peter, why have you chosen? Defend yourself. Defend your faith. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? I think Peter would turn to me and say, well, Jonathan, it's pretty simple. I watched them kill Jesus. I watched them kill him. I watched them bury his dead body and seal the tomb. And I had breakfast on the beach with them days later. I don't know about you, Jonathan, but when you see someone murdered, killed, and dead for days, and then you have breakfast with them, I'm with him. See, for Peter, I think if you ask, why are you a follower of Jesus? He would respond with one word, resurrection. Resurrection. That that would be the reason why. Because Jesus was raised from the grave. In fact, this is so cool. In the first chapter of 1 Peter, verse 21, he would say it this way. He said, through Christ, 
You have come to trust in God. It's through Christ we've come to God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God. Why? Because he raised Christ from the dead and he gave him great glory. He's saying this. Listen, it is the resurrection of what Jesus has done. He rose from the grave. That is the game changer. That's why I follow him. And then he goes on in in the following verses and he gives us guidelines to speaking up. I think this is pretty amazing. He not only tells Christians, you should speak up about your faith. Be prepared to answer the question, why are you following Jesus? Then he gives you guidelines. Listen to what he says here. He says, but do this when you're speaking up. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Love this. Gentle. Why gentle? Because it's not about winning an argument. You're argue- you know, it's funny when we're, when we're married couples, uh, there are arguments along the way, Right? Yeah, right. I heard someone a little too enthusiastic. (laughs) There are arguments. It's part of life. It's part of doing community with others. But when it becomes about winning them all, be careful. There's a gentleness. You know what gentleness is? It's strength under control. It is not weakness. It is strength under control. And saying to Christians, listen, be gentle. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about dominating That's a a different paradigm. That's not the paradigm of God's kingdom. This is why sometimes you see religious circles and Christians get overly enthusiastic politically in political circles and you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was never about dominating a group of people with your beliefs. It's not how it worked. But be gentle. Strength under control. And then be respectful. I love this. This means this. There's never an occasion or reason to be disrespectful about somebody else's beliefs. There's never a reason or occasion. Now, what if they're being disrespectful, Jonathan? Yeah, that's great. That doesn't mean you have to, right? They can't make you be disrespectful. There's never a reason to be not gentle or respectful in communicating and speaking up for why you might be a follower of Jesus. Then I love, he doesn't leave it there. He says this, keep your conscience clear. In other words, live in such a way that you don't give them a reason to discount what you're saying. Live in such a way that you don't feel guilty that your words and your lifestyle don't match. Not that that ever happens to anyone. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed. See, it's pretty interesting. Peter's saying this. It's about speaking up and living up. That as we live up, it gives weight to what we speak up about. And as we speak up, and people look at our lives, it lives up to what we're speaking up about. All of those things brings credibility to our witness. Then when people speak against us and they see how we live, they'll be ashamed of that. Peter's saying this, we are always going to have people, and you're going to have people who don't believe what you believe, and that's okay. Be respectful, be gentle. Because they could possibly be looking for a reason to discount your witness. Because they're going to look for a reason. Because sometimes, even when you're doing the right things, your behavior convicts them. See, friends, some people are going to be critical of you. Critical of what you say. Critical of what you do. Because your morality and your behavior, oftentimes, they don't think you're wrong. They know they're wrong. 
And they don't like that. And friends, you know what? You're the same. I'm the same. When was the last time you did something that was wrong or said something that was wrong? Right? And somebody else came along and pointed it out. Or you're saying something wrong, you're gossiping, you're going on about something, and somebody comes in and says, hey, I don't know if we should be talking about this. Now, do you, do you naturally feel like, oh, thank you. Thank you for pointing out my wrong behavior and wrong words. Like, I feel so much better now and lighter that your good behavior and your good words shone a light on my bad behavior and bad words, and now I feel so much richer for it. No. What are we? We're critical of them. We get critical of them. Why? Because their behavior has shone a light on our bad behavior. That's kind of normal. Friends, we've all been there. We've all been a part of that. And Peter says this, when you live out your Christian values, you're going to get some pushback, get used to it. But don't give anybody a reason. Don't give anyone a reason, a credible reason, to be critical of your behavior. See, we need to be ready to give an answer to why we've chosen to follow Jesus, and then we need to live up to it. And we'll always be imperfect at that. Uh, Listen, I love it to be able to say this as often as I can in this church community. Hey, friends, uh, I'm glad we're together because all the perfect people left a long time ago is just you and me. Because we're imperfect people that will never live it out and speak it out to the way that we, we will someday when we're with God. But we want to endeavor to be as close to that as possible. So that when people look in at us and they see us, And they say, listen, I don't believe a thing those Christians believe, but I got to admit, they're good people. Man, they're good people. Or I don't want to become a Christian, but I sure hope my daughter marries one. Because they stick. Or or listen, I, I, I don't believe anything about this Jesus or anything like that, but man, I hire as many Christians as possible. Because they show up early, they work hard, and they're honest. They're the best employees in this place. That should be us living up. And it brings weight to what we speak up. When people ask, like, why are you the way you are? Why do you follow Jesus? So he doesn't stop just there. But here's the powerful principle that comes from all of that. Friends, it's hard to be critical of a selfless, generous, and compassionate living. It's hard to be critical of that. If we're focused on being selfless, serving people, serving our city, serving the people in our lives, if we're focused on being generous with people, if we're focused on being compassionate, it is really difficult to be critical of that type of living. Now, you may not believe what someone else believes, but when you live that way, people pause and they take note. That's pretty attractive living. That's pretty unattackable living. What's what's he guilty of? Being selfless and generous and compassionate? Well, sign me up then. Now, those of you who know me, if you're new here, you don't know this about me, but I love history. And in Easter of this past year, I introduced you to one of my favorite authors, a guy named Larry Hurtado uh, from the University of Edinburgh. He's a professor there. He wrote a book that I love. It's called, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? 
And it's a fascinating book because it chronicles what happened to Christians in the first three centuries. And in his estimation, it is a complete miracle there's even a Christian movement in the world today because of the incredible persecution, death, uh, marginalization, economic depression that happened as a result of people becoming a Christian. And so he tries to figure out why would anyone want to become a Christian? And in this uh, book, I was introduced to a Roman uh, character, and I read some of it in Easter to you. I'm going to read a little bit more right now. His name was Pliny the Younger. Now, he was a governor, a Roman governor in the region of modern-day Turkey. And what's fascinating in history is we actually have, and you can Google this yourself, Pliny is P-L-I-N-Y, the Younger. He, we have interactions between him and the emperor at the time, which is what's named Trajan. This is 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what happened is Trajan demanded emperor worship. Not every Roman emperor did, but Trajan did. And it was a way to subjugate the masses. It was a way of making sure that you were going to be loyal to him. So they demanded this emperor worship. And Christians came under intense persecution because they would not worship the emperor of Rome. Now, it was interesting in history, the Jews got a pass because the Romans had been frustrated with the Jewish people and they couldn't subjugate them unless they, were, they could only serve their God. And so they gave the Jews a pass on this, but not the Gentile Christians, not the Christians. So intense persecution comes. From Rome, Emperor Trajan sends instructions to all of his governors to have the Christians arrested because they were treasonous towards the government because they wouldn't submit and worship the emperor. So... It's pretty interesting because Pliny the Younger, who was raised by his uncle, guess this, his uncle's name was Pliny also, but his was Pliny the Older. See, it's knows a pattern, first and second Peter, Pliny the Older, Pliny the Younger, you know, fishermen, fishermen. It's amazing how everything connected then. So Pliny the Younger writes to Trajan and says, listen, I've done it. We've arrested, we've rounded up the Christians, and there are way more in the text. It's very interesting. There's way more than we even knew. They're everywhere. We've imprisoned the rich ones, and we have tortured the poor ones. We have infiltrated their ranks, and we have investigated them thoroughly. So he's writing to Trajan like he's basically saying, so what do I do with them? And here's what he says. Here's his words in the account. He says, the sum and substance of their fault and error. This is what they've done. This is what we discovered about them. Had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. So he says, Trajan, I, I found out what they're guilty of. Before the sun comes up, they gather together and they sing hymns. Now, hymns were important in the early church because they didn't have a Bible. They had fragments of letters from Paul or Peter and others, but they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have 66 books well-bound and translated in their language. They didn't have that. So they would put the teachings of Jesus and the Psalms to song, and that's how they learned. So they'd be teaching one another early in the morning by singing songs, and then they claimed that Jesus was God. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, these are your peeps. These are your peeps. These are the people, this is how they lived. And so Plenty the Younger goes on and he says this. And to bind themselves by oath, they took an oath early in the morning together. 
when they gather, not to some crime, not to some, some subversive act against the government, no, not to that, but to not commit fraud, theft, or adultery, or falsify their trust, nor to refuse or to return a trust when called upon to do so. So he said, they sing responsibly and then they take an oath before they go to work that day. They're not going to steal, they're not going to lie, they're going to keep their promises, and they won't commit adultery. And you can almost hear Trajan say, uh, Emperor, or you can almost hear Plenty the Younger say to Trajan, uh, so Emperor Trajan, these, these are probably the best citizens we have. They're not criminals. Well, what are we to do with them? How are we supposed to handle these people? Friends, just side note. Could you imagine if every Christian in the city of Toronto gathered together, sang songs responsibly about Jesus, declared him as God, took an oath not to lie, not to be dishonest, keep their promises, not to steal, not to fraud, not to commit adultery. We'd be living up. And people would be asking us to speak up. That could change a city. Pliny goes on. He says this. When this was over, because they're not done yet, it was their custom to depart. They went to work. And then to assemble again to partake of food. <laughs> I like this. But ordinary and innocent food. Now, you, you probably don't know why he makes a big deal out of this, but there was a rumor in ancient cultures in Rome in that time that Christians ate babies. Yeah, that was a rumor, that they ate the flesh of babies and they drank the blood of babies. Now, where would people get the idea about eating the body and drinking the blood? Communion. Communion. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, and we sang about it earlier, it wasn't the literal blood of Jesus. It, wasn't, it was a symbol of Jesus' lifeblood and flesh, him dying so that we could live again. So he's saying, listen, I don't know what you think they're guilty of. And friends, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're here because of what they believed and how they lived. It gave weight to them and witness to them. In verse 17, Peter says this. He continues, he says, Remember, it is better to... Uh, listen, you didn't log on today on our online church. You didn't come to church to hear this today, but Peter's going to have us hear this today. He said, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. In other words, friends, in life, every one of us will face suffering. You, every one of us is going to face suffering. If you think coming to Jesus is going to alleviate all your suffering, every one of us faces suffering. But he says this, if you're going to suffer, why not suffer for doing good instead of doing bad? If you're going to be penalized in life, why not be penalized for doing good instead of what's bad? And he finishes up this text. He says this in verse 18. Christ suffered. Oh, I don't want to suffer, but Jesus did. Okay, Christ suffered for our sins. You know, everybody likes to say, you know, what would Jesus do? Except, you know, this part, right? Uh, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. In other words, Peter's reminding those Christians, listen, Jesus suffered 
and God rewarded him. And you know what his prize was? You. You were his prize. You were his reward for suffering. He was able to bring you safely back home. So Christians, be ready, be ready to give an explanation for why you're following Jesus Christ. It might cost you to follow Jesus Christ, but that's okay. God promises a reward for those of us who suffer for his namesake. But when you answer that question, and this is a hard question to answer, because if I grabbed you after the sheriff and said, why are you personally following Jesus? Now, I want to say, however you want to respond to that, let me encourage you and maybe say, suggest to you that perhaps some of your answer at least should contain the idea of the resurrection. Now, you might say, well, but Jonathan, I serve Jesus today because I, my life was in shambles. And somebody invited me or somebody prayed with me and Jesus put my life back together. Or, or I follow Jesus today because I've made a series of really bad choices and I destroyed all these relationships and somebody reached out to me and brought me into to the church and, and God knit my life back together. Listen, friends, if you've experienced good and God, Jesus has touched your life and changed your life and put it back together again, it's because he's alive. The only reason that happens is Jesus was alive to do that work inside of you. Jesus is not alive because you feel it. Jesus is alive because he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. So somehow in your message, it might be the story of how God put your life back together, but somehow, let me encourage you, somewhere there, I believe Jesus forgave me of my sins. He died and he arose from the grave. See, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. A contemporary of Peter, he said this, and if Christ has not been raised, that never happened, then all of our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. I'd say the resurrection is the epicenter of your and my faith if you're a follower of Jesus. We are centered on what Christ has done through Jesus Christ. So friends, speak up. And live up. Live in such a way that people want to know why. And then be prepared to give an explanation for why you're a follower of Jesus. So friends, uh, I'm going to invite you in a moment. Now, you received a card on the way in. Can you take that out? Just hold it in your hand for a second. Pastor Keith and I have been working on this. The whole month of December. Did you know December's coming? It comes every year. I noticed that. Every year it comes. The whole month of December, we have designed it in such a way that we want to encourage anyone who's a follower of Jesus, but we have designed it to be an invitational month. It's an opportunity. This series is going to be, I think if you're a Christian, you're going to learn a lot of interesting things about the story of Jesus there. But if you're not a Christian, this is going to be a great chance to be introduced to Jesus and really the magnificence of what he's done for us. And it kind of kicks off that first weekend. We're going to have a group with us that were here to do our hymn sing a couple of years ago. They're an amazing musical group. They have a brand new Christmas album out. It's all of the Christmas classic carols. And I want to invite you to be thinking, who are you going to be inviting to be a part of our series on the weekend or even to kick it off with this Christmas concert? Because as they've surveyed people in Canada, December is the most 
It is the most frequent time for people who don't even believe what the church believes or anything. They'll come to church at Christmas. Why? Well, it's Christmas. Fa la 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 la. So I want to encourage you. Think about who you're going to be inviting to be a part of this. And then when people come on our, on our Christmas Eve services even, we're going to have this incredible carol sing. And on that Christmas Eve service, everyone who comes is going to get, their, one per household was going to get a copy of this book by Max Licato, Before Amen. Because in January, we're going to do a series on prayer. So you bring a friend to church at Christmas Eve, they're going to get a book. And the book is a great introduction to how do we talk to God? And what does that look like? And what does that do in our lives? In between that series, we're going to do a little mini-series called Your Best Year Ever. I mean, it's going to be a great month to invite somebody to come with you. Now, I encourage you, it's not just dump it in someone's mailbox. Hopefully you built relationships and you care about people. And then as God lays someone in your heart, we trust God with that person. And then at some point you speak up because you've already been living up around them. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you would. Grab that card though as you stand. I would like you to hold it in your hand because we're going to pray for that person. That person at work, that person maybe uh, in your home, that person in your neighborhood, that grandchild of yours, that son or daughter of yours who may have moved away from being centering their life around Jesus, whoever it might be that you're going to invite this December. The person in your apartment building, the person in your seniors complex who maybe doesn't know Christ, whoever it might be, get them on your mind and heart. Hold that card in your hand. And we're going to pray for that person. You know their name. You know what I love about this, friends? If you're a follower of Jesus, somebody had you on their mind. Parent, Sunday school teacher, someone at work, someone at school invited you to youth group. One of the kids in the neighborhood invited you to Sunday school. Whatever it is, somebody had you on their mind. Let's get somebody on our mind today. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life and his sacrifice. But thank you for raising him again. And God, in this moment, in this really, I feel like this is a holy moment. God, we bring, and you think of that person's name, and you bring that name before God right now. I've got someone I'm thinking of. God, I pray you give me the words to say and the faith in my heart to speak up. And God, help me to be diligent to invite them to come and see and come and hear about Jesus the center of my life. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.